morning. How you doing? That's pretty weak, but that's okay. Um, we are, uh, I'm super excited that you're here. I'm excited I'm here. I don't know if you're excited you're here, but that's okay. Um, my name is Joe. I'm, I'm one of the pastors. I work with the, the Greenhouse, which is our college and young professional ministry. We've got to get my crowd right here. That's awesome. They're, they're both cheering and they can also spit at me right at that range too. So that's great. Um, and uh, I don't know. I'm just really excited that we get a chance to be together this, uh, this morning. So let's pray and let's dive in. God, we give thanks to you today for all of the things that we've just gotten a chance to think about, about who you are, about how good you've been to us, about even just this idea of the Passover, that, that um, when we smear the blood of Jesus over our, uh, the doorframe of our house, the death angel passes over. And God, we, we just know that you have good things in store for us, that, that you want to teach us. There's so much that you want to teach us. And God, we, we want to be learners. We, we know we're weak. God, we know that, that we, we struggle to, uh, to yield um, in, in, in many areas of our lives. And so we pray, God, that, that your Holy Spirit would, would empower us to be and do what we can't do on our own. And we look to you during this time. Pray that you illuminate our eyes to the word of God. Help us to be doers um, and not just hearers. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I get the privilege of proclaiming the, the word of God today on this, this, new, this new year. Like, I don't know if you guys are like, like me, but I love to start over. I love to read. I love to push the, the reset button. I like to hit the redo. I, I like the chance to, to begin anew. How many people in here set New Year's resolutions? Anybody, anybody a New Year's? Not many. I didn't think so. Um, <laughs> makes sense. Uh, I, I generally have like one thing that I'm kind of aiming at in the new year. But I, I had some statistics I wanted to share with you about New Year's resolutions. I thought these were very interesting. The first one is this. Um, about 40% of U.S. Uh, adults set New Year's resolutions. And of those 40%, uh, 60% of those people are young people, 18 to 34 which makes sense. What that means is by the time you've gotten to 35, you pretty much have just given up. Um, 48% of, of, the, of the resolutions that usually have to do with like exercise. The, the top three are always related to health. So like exercise, probably eating differently and like drinking more water. And then, um, uh, then this is where things get kind of dark, okay? Within the first week, about one in four have already quit. 23, 24% quit in the first week. Um, now, you can look at this last statistic kind of either way. I kind of thought of it as encouraging, but you might not. Only one in 10 actually makes it successfully through the entire year. I thought that was actually pretty encouraging. I thought the number was lower. <laughs> so what I want to propose to you today as, uh, as we look at God's word is that you at least consider a resolution as we move forward in 2023, that will move you towards joy. A kind of joy that happens regardless of your circumstances. As if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that Pastor Mark's been walking through this series called E2E. And when he gets a breather and takes a breather, I have had a chance to kind of do a side series as we've looked at this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And I've, I've titled it Joy Regardless. And... Um, and just the whole concept of joy regardless is that we can be joy-filled people completely independent of our life circumstances. Paul wrote this letter uh, from a prison cell 
in Rome and where he was chained to a, a guard. His life from a worldly perspective, if you and I kind of look at Paul's life, we would be like, I don't want that. He, it was full of disappointment and discouragement and pain. And yet Paul rejoiced. His life was full of joy. You know why? Because he had resolved that Jesus and the gospel were life and the rest were just details. Paul's New Year's resolutions would be stuff like this. I want to know Jesus more and the power of his resurrection and fellowship with him in his sufferings. He would say something like this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or he would say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Those are all things that Paul actually said in this letter that we have been studying. And the point of all this is that, again, you and I can be people who experience deep, lasting joy regardless of our circumstances. This year, you can move out of the cultural stream where your joy is dictated by something, whatever you want to, maybe it's politics, maybe it's economics affected by politics or just economics, maybe it's relationships, whatever it is, that, that in and of itself is incredible. And that can be true for you and me today and every day for the rest of our time in this life. What Paul's gonna do for us today is this. He's gonna give us two things to embrace and, and one thing that he's gonna have us kind of discard. And so what is gonna happen is he's gonna give us one thing to embrace and then we're gonna look at something that we need to kind of get rid of and then he's gonna give us another thing that we're gonna embrace. And so if you have a Bible, you can flip or tap your way to Philippians chapter three, starting in verse one. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one afterward. You can go to the info table and just, and just grab one. This is what Paul wrote, and this is what we read. I'm going to read this whole thing in one chunk just so you get a sense of where we're going here. Okay, Paul wrote this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. That is a mouthful. And so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna start with verse one. Paul writes this. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, when you hear that word finally, don't think that Paul is bringing the plane in for a landing just yet. This is kind of like, you know, like being a preacher, this is kind of like how preachers roll. When they say finally, you know it's not over yet, <laughs> right? And so 
What Paul's doing here is literally just saying, hey, I'm kind of pointing you to the rest of what I want you to know. The Greek literally means to or toward the rest. And again, so Paul is really just saying, this is the rest of what I need to impart to you, Philippians. Now, I love what Paul does here. He, he gives us the same admonition to rejoice. Again, up to this point in his letter, he's used the same word 12 times. 12 times. What I also love is that we're commanded to rejoice just after Paul talks about two of his favorite people. He talked about Timothy and Epaphroditus, right? It's so easy to rejoice when you're around the people that you like. But it's sandwiched between the people that he likes and the enemies of the cross. If you look what happens here, Paul is going to get into talking about these enemies of the faith. But in, in light of the enemies, he still is saying rejoice. And so verse 2, he says this, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And what Paul is, is, is warning the churches, he's warning them against some false teachers but I want you to see the strength of his words. I mean, you don't talk about just your, your normal person as, as a dog, do you? Or, or an evildoer, or as a mutilator of the flesh. Those are really strong words. And so what Paul is doing, he's warning the church against false teachers. And you've got to see, Paul is really, he, the strength of his words, he's pointing in a direction, he's basically saying, this is the hill that I am willing to die on. I mean, a lot of times in the church, there's a lot of hills that we're willing to die on. It, 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 a lot of times it's maybe political or racial, or there's other issues maybe that consume, you know, how we think. But Paul, the hill that he was willing to die on, it was the gospel. It was the gospel hill. Paul would go toe-to-toe -to -toe against the, this group of people called the Judaizers, Maybe you've heard of them before. I'm going to give you some quick deets about this group of people. Here's the kind of the top six things you need to know about this group. First is they were Jewish believers. Second, they held that you needed to become Jewish before you could become a Christian. Third, there was, you know, the subset, the strict Jewish, Jewish believers, they, they actually opposed Paul's ministry. And they came to Antioch teaching that it was necessary for the Gentiles to submit to Jewish rules so that they could be saved. That, number four, the, the, that disagreement led to the conference at Jerusalem that we read about in Acts 15. The outcome of that council was that the Gentiles did not have to become Jewish proselytes in order to become Christians. It was a major victory for the purity of the gospel. Number five, some in that group of people, as you can imagine, didn't like the outcome of the council there in Acts 15. And, and they, even, it kinda, they got more amped up about what they were holding to and they decided to become even more divisive and contentious, getting the name Judaizers, false teachers who mixed law and grace. And then six, Paul actually wrote a whole letter speaking out against these people. If you want to read it, you can go home. It's in, in Galatians. He's writing against these false teachers. And so Paul was warning the Philippian church about this group. He called them again. He called them dogs evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. This is a big deal because the gospel's at stake. This group was preaching that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough. Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh, and he actually, in the original language, uses a pun. 
The word translated circumcision literally means a mutilation. And Paul said they were mutilators of the flesh because they missed the point of the gospel. They were trying to earn a right standing with God through circumcision, which could never work. Paul's point was that it was just mutilation because they missed what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was all about. Now, all that kind of gives us some background as to what's going on as Paul is addressing these things here in this letter. And that really brings us to our, our first you know, part of what Paul wants us to embrace today. He wants us to embrace this. He wants us to embrace the gospel. Verse three, he says this, for we are the circumcision. We're not allowed to talk about circumcision this morning. I hope, I hope you're okay with that. Um, and so he says, we are the circumcision. He, and some translations actually say we are the true circumcision. So what Paul is going to do now is he's going to lay out what the gospel is all about for us. It's all about Jesus. By saying that we are the circumcision, he's saying that we have spiritually experienced the transformation that comes from the gospel. There's been a cutting off of the old nature. Another place in the New Testament, Paul writes this. He says this. He says, in him, in Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It's not a physical circumcision. It's a spiritual circumcision. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And so you were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's what you were before Jesus. What Paul's talking about when he says we are the circumcision is again, it's a reference to this spiritual circumcision. Spiritual circumcision is all about the heart. And in the gospel through Jesus, you experience a spiritual circumcision where God cuts off your old nature and makes you alive in Jesus. The gospel is what the Christian faith is all about. And in a nutshell, this is what it is. The Jesus, the God of the, the universe, the creator God of all things, came to earth in their incarnation, which is what we just celebrated this last week, in the birth of Jesus. And the, the, the gospel writer, John, says that when Jesus came, he, he set up his tent in our neighborhood. That's what it means when he dwelt amongst us. He, he showed us what it was like to be fully human. He showed us what it was like to be human without sin. And then in a seemingly tragic set of events, he was arrested, he was wrongly accused, and he was condemned to die between two hardened criminals in the most shameful, inhumane punishment ever designed, the Roman cross. Well, it gets even better. The, the God, the creator God of the universe, Jesus, didn't stay dead. On the third day, he was resurrected. Like the last time I preached, one of my kids afterwards rebuked me and said, hey, you didn't talk enough about the resurrection as part of the gospel. So you're gonna get a lot of resurrection talk today. And in his death, burial, and resurrection, he holds out an offer of life and salvation to anyone who would respond to his invitation. He invites you to come and receive him, all of him, 
complete eternal forgiveness of sin and his leadership over your life. And in this gospel message, we see that someone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus experiences, experiences a spiritual rebirth. The New Testament talks about being born again. And in that new birth, that, that, that is that spiritual transformation that Paul refers to as, as spiritual circumcision. So the shift that Paul is talking about here is monumental. The Judaizers missed it. Lots of religious and irreligious people miss it. Paul preached Jesus alone for salvation. Nothing else. The Judaizers wanted to add something to the finished work of Jesus. Paul strongly opposed them. Because anytime you add anything to Jesus, you don't have Christian faith. You have works-based religion and works-based righteousness, which at the end of the day will get you nowhere except eternal separation from God forever. See, what you need to embrace if you've never come to Jesus before is you need to leave behind anything you think you could do to make yourself right with God and embrace the gospel. You and I bring nothing. We bring nothing to the table. I love how this old hymn, what this old hymn says. It says, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Help us look to thee for grace. Foul in, I t- to, the, to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And so if you've never embraced Jesus before, this could be the day. January 1st, 2023 could be the, the day that you experience new life. I love the way Morgan Wallen puts it. He says this. He says, if I were him, if I were Jesus, I'd say, to hell with you. Ain't no help in you. And Morgan's talking about himself. He's looking at his own life. He said, find someone else to give heaven to, I'm telling you. I'd shame me. I'd blame me. I'd make me pay for my mistakes. But I don't think Jesus does it that way. Another Morgan Wallen fan. Thank you. (laughs) And that's why the gospel is the greatest joy producer and sustainer the world will ever know. Because the Judaizers and every one of us is wired for works righteousness. We know we're far from God. I mean, we know we deserve hell. And so we go to work. Somehow we think, We'll make up for all of our wrongdoing, but the reality is you can never undo all of the sin stain on your souls. Morgan says that he'd make himself pay for his mistakes, but you could never pay your way out of that sin debt. And Morgan's right on, but Jesus doesn't do it that way. Paul goes on and he says that that we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. In other words, we worship God on the basis of what Jesus has done rather than on the basis of what we've done. And then he says, we glory in Christ Jesus. That word glory in the Greek, another way to say it would be boast. So instead of you boasting in yourself, all you do is you boast in Jesus. No room to boast in what we've done. It's all about Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh We trust completely in Jesus for our righteousness. We put no confidence in human initiative and works to gain spiritual blessing. 
And that leads us to the next shift. We, we started off by just talking about how we need to embrace the gospel. The next thing we're going to talk about, something we need to discard, we need to get rid of, and it's this. We need to leave behind our confidence in self and embrace our true identity. That's pretty wild to say in our culture today, like leave behind your confidence in yourself. Now, I've already mentioned we're, we're wired for works righteousness, but think about it. Every world religion is all about earning God's favor. Every world religion has a climb you have to make to get to God, except one, the Christian faith. And it's because, again, we know we ain't right. And so we set to work to get right, and it's complete futility. At one point, this is where Paul was at in his thinking. He thought he could earn righteousness through, God's, through keeping God's law. And we're going to see that right here. Verse 4, Paul goes into his spiritual portfolio. Listen to this. He says, though I, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, if you were Jewish or maybe a part of this Judaizer group and you read Paul's spiritual resume, you would be pretty impressed. A true Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, one of Joseph's favorite sons, they gave Israel their first king. He studied under Gamaliel, the great rabbi. Memorized the Pentateuch. That's our, the first five books of, of our Bible. That includes Leviticus. He kept the law and the traditions perfectly. Even went so far as to persecute the church to show his zeal. Paul looked at his spiritual portfolio and he left it all behind for the sake of knowing Jesus. Verses seven and eight, he goes on, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so as you leave behind your confidence in self. For some of you, you have kind of this spiritual, you know, background. You, you have this, this spiritual resume. Maybe you have an extensive church background or some sort of extensive religious upbringing. You may even have a special Bible training in your, in your past, and you may have even studied over, uh, under someone of significance or status in the church. For those of us without much of a spiritual resume like Paul, we're, we're leaving behind whatever we've used to prop ourselves up, whatever we found our identity in, whatever we've looked to for our source of significance. Maybe it's your reputation or your fame or your achievements. Maybe it's your, your bank account, your 401k, your social status. Your physical status symbols, maybe it's the, the car you drive or the neighborhood you live in or the people you associate with. Your accolades. Maybe it's the initials next to your name. Today, 
Paul is telling you to leave it behind. And Paul says all that stuff doesn't come close in comparison to the value of knowing Jesus. He goes on, he says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now I just want to push pause there just for a second. And I want you to, to think, is this how you think about Jesus? Paul is saying that Jesus has the highest place in his life. For the sake of Jesus, Paul has shifted and given up all things, and he says he counts them as rubbish. The Greek uh, for that word rubbish is the word skybala, and it means garbage or refuse or dung. And so when I say that, what emoji comes to your mind? That's what I want you to think. And so when you compare everything else in your life to the value Jesus has in your life, it looks like that emoji. It's a pile of dung. What Paul's saying here is that Jesus is his life. Jesus is his righteousness, his joy, his everything. That's how Paul thought about the gospel. He was fully captivated by Jesus and this message, so much so that he gave his whole life to love and serve his Savior. These shifts that we're talking about are why Paul could say that he had joy regardless. Now, here's the tension that I feel in my life. This is kind of my chance to give you my honest confession. I may be the only one in the room that feels this, but here it is. I feel tension in my life when my life is about something else and Jesus. Like when I have another pursuit or desire or passion or allegiance that might be competing with Jesus as Lord of my life. I recognize that tension more quickly today than I did 20 years ago because I actually feel like a tangible difference in my body. I feel anxiety and fear. I, I feel struggle and a lack of peace. And more than anything, when I have this competing allegiance, I recognize that I lack joy. That's why I'm so challenged by this entire letter. And see, what Paul did that's so different from you and me is that he actually just, he just yielded his complete life to Jesus. Whatever gain I had, he says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He took all of his accomplishments. He put them in, into a pile. He poured gasoline on them, lit them on fire, and burned them into the ground. Indeed, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Dung emoji. In order that I may gain Christ. He valued Jesus more than anything else. Nothing had a higher place in Paul's life than Jesus. It was so much so that when he compared everything else to Jesus, all the other stuff looked like a pile of dung. All because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, for Paul, he knew Jesus in a way that you and I don't. 
And it's not like we can't or couldn't, but it all comes down to desire. What do we want more? Do we want Jesus or our lake house? Do we want Jesus or our grandkids? Do we want Jesus or our mechanical engineering degree and career? Do we want Jesus or the wedding and the marriage that you've dreamt about since you were a little girl? Now, nothing wrong with any of these things. I've probably made a lot of enemies right now. But the challenge for us becomes what place do each of these things have in our hearts? And for Paul, he kept bringing his heart back to this place. And as he valued Jesus more, that whole surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, I think if we get that right, everything else falls into place. Instead of the tension and anxiety and lack of peace and joy, we begin to know what it's like to have joy regardless of our circumstances. Because at the end of the day, making more money, buying more things, experiencing more success, growing, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's super temporary. Here today, gone tomorrow. But Jesus is eternal, and the things of God are eternal. And when we order our, our lives rightly under the lordship of Jesus, we're going to experience a supernatural life filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do the will of God. Listen, I have a, a friend who calls me probably about once a week, and he, he just is telling me about all the problems in the world, kind of like I'm not aware of them. But he spends a lot of time watching Fox News, and so he... He spends a lot of time just talking about how the world's falling apart. And as he's sharing this stuff with me, I, I, I feel for him because obviously he's discouraged. But one of the things I, I've wrestled with is I haven't figured out a way to, to get the gospel message to my friend yet. And so as he's sharing these things, I'm listening and I'm trying to be empathetic and warm. And, but in my mind, I'm thinking, first, the world has, has always been falling apart ever since the fall. And then two, our only hope is Jesus. I mean, we want to cling to our financial investments for hope. We want to cling to years of prosperity and blessing that we've experienced in this country for our hope. We want, we, we want things to go the way we want them to go, and our hope is so circumstantial. And I secretly wonder, is God allowing all this to happen to purify us? Is, is he going to show us that the greatest things in life aren't things, but rather the chance to walk with the God of the universe and experience an intimacy with Jesus? And that's what Paul was all about. And so we embrace the gospel. We're kind of pushing aside or pushing off or putting away like our significance coming from like the things we do and, and all these other areas outside of knowing Jesus. And the last thing that I think Paul wants us to embrace is this. We need to make knowing Jesus, like a living knowledge of Jesus, our number one pursuit for 2023. Look what Paul says. He says, in order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
and this is verse 10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. When I, when I read that, I was like instantly reminded of a quote uh, by a guy named Jim Elliott. I don't know if you know the name Jim Elliott, but Jim Elliott was someone uh, who left the world behind for this all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jim gave his life to try and take the gospel to the, this hostile, hostile Aka tribe in uh, Ecuador, South America. And he said this, it's a famous quote. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim got it. Paul got it. How about you and me? I think, I think our challenge is to wrestle with this. Do we value Jesus more? Do we place a higher worth on knowing Jesus than we do on the rest of life? That's the shift we need to wrestle with because that's what worship is all about. It's all about worth and value. Worship is all about what we ascribe worth to. And Paul was so riveted by the gospel and by a righteousness that came through faith in Jesus alone that he was willing to count all the other stuff as rubbish because he had already gained Christ. Now, I preached the message, right? But I'll tell you, as I was prepping for this, I felt overwhelmed. I thought, God, how, how am I going to do this? Like, how are we going to do this? And then I was reminded that it's not up to us alone to make this happen. This is about God working in us to do something in us. He is stirring things up in you right now to accomplish the work that he wants to do in and through you. But there are things that we can do to fuel the flame. And so I'm gonna give you three as kind of a, a way of, of bringing things to a conclusion here. Here are those things, the three things that I wrote down that, that I think might be helpful as you kind of try to roll out some application here. The first one is I, I want you to consider a fast from things that you've placed a, a higher worth on in your life over Jesus. And maybe um, that fast, maybe you would consider a fast from Amazon. I know. <laughs> Packages arrive every day. Maybe you would delete social media for a month. Maybe you'll turn off Fox News. For a time, I'll go, gosh, how can I do that? I don't know what's going on in the world. And what you do when you fast is instead of just adding something else as a filler, you pursue Jesus. You take the time that was like occupying that space and you invest it in your walk with God. And if any of those things really bothered you, that's the thing that you need to give up. Wherever you have your finger and you're like, I'll give you anything else but not this, that would be a really good thing to explore. Two, how do you get to know Jesus? Well, there's no shortcuts, right? 
It's just like any other relationship. You're married, you spend five minutes with your spouse a day, your marriage is gonna suck. So if you wonder like why your relationship with God's not that good and you spend five minutes with him a day or, or no time, don't wonder. Set aside time to seek him. I'm speaking this into my life as well. Here's um, Matthew chapter seven. Jesus said this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. You, you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus says, if you seek me, you're gonna find me. Hebrews 11, the writer says this. He says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Another translation says, earnestly seek him. And my last uh, application for you is this. It's to run with people who are gonna help you pursue God more in your life. That's why God gave us the church. So that we could be encouraged together to pursue Jesus. It's not enough to come on a Sunday and not know anybody and not have anybody who's kind of pushing you and making you warmer in your faith and you doing that in their life as well. Maybe this is the year that you're gonna say, I'm gonna jump into a small group. I'm gonna link arms with other people. We have a small group connect that's happening at the end of January. I'd love for you to be a part of that. But think about it. And in, in if you had a fire and you took all of the hot coals and you separated them out like this, what happens? The fire dies. You put the hot coals together and what happens? It burns hotter. And so at the end of the day, it's really all about Jesus. Life is about knowing Jesus and making him known. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. You and I were made for so much more. 2023 could be the year that we put a stake in the ground as a church and say, let's push off all of the things that keep us from Jesus and let's pursue him as of the highest worth in our lives. Maybe for you, this is the time where for you, the, fir the first time today is where you respond to the gospel. You'll say yes to Jesus. The New Testament couldn't be any clearer. Becoming a Christian is all about Jesus and him giving you his righteousness. And if you would wanna talk more about that, man, I would just love to do that right after we're done. Come talk to me. And the new year, Paul's given us some things to embrace and some things to discard. Embrace Jesus for your righteousness. We talked about that. Put off confidence in yourself and all the things that up to this point have defined your life. Like Paul, count them as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. Embrace Jesus as of the highest value because you'll pursue what you value. You pursue what you treasure. And then make it your big goal of 2023 to grow in your experiential knowledge of God your knowledge of God is way more than head knowledge. I've talked about this all the time when I preach. Knowledge of God, according to one commentary writer, is this. A personal response. It's a personal response of faith and obedience to God's self-revelation. Now, I think a lot of people see this letter as simple and clear. I would totally agree. I look at Philippians as low shelf, like super accessible. But when it comes to application, 
I think this is one of the most challenging letters to apply to our lives. But the beauty of our faith is that we begin by the gospel and we continue by that same gospel. We begin by trusting in Jesus and we continue by trusting in Jesus. And so let's do that. Let's trust Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we're so thankful that we have your words, that you've kept these truths for us ever since this letter was written and it's been passed down and handed down and you've preserved it so that we could have it today, so that we could look at it and know you better and, and have you expose us of what's true of our hearts because you're so good, you want us to become more like Jesus, who we were, we were created to be like. You wouldn't want to leave us just like we are. And so God, we, we just we want you to have your way in us. Like we prayed at the beginning, God, we just think like we're weak. That's why only 10% of people make it to the end of the year with their, their resolutions, but God, we want our resolution to be knowing you. And so when we fail, God, would you encourage us to get back up again? I'm so glad that you don't do things like we do things. I'm so glad that, that you're not like us. God, we just, we just thank you for our time today. We, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. I have enjoyed my time with you. I hope you enjoyed your time with me. And um, I hope you have a great week.